So last week I was thinking, you know, we needed to end, uh, end the year on a high note, you know, a good note, so I, re- I preached my uh, good news sermon to you. So I, I've been thinking about it, and I, I'm thinking we need to start the year on a good note, too. <laughs> I'm saving my fire and brimstone for, you know, for later in the year. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, the beginning of the year, it's always, you know, and us Jews, we, you know, we're, we're, we're clever. We have three new years, you know, actually probably more than that, but at least, two, at least three. So we have, you know, Nisan, Pesach is a new year, actually. And then we have Rosh Hashanah, that's a new year. And then because we live here in, in the world that we live in, we have another new year. We just passed it, right? We just, so we get three shots at, like, starting over every year. You know what I mean? You can always play that game with yourself. But since uh, we do keep a calendar year, uh, more or less, for most of our lives, I thought this is always a time to assess, you know, and to make resolutions, right? So I want us to think about the most, what I think is going to be the most important resolution for our lives. And this is found in, in the uh, book of Proverbs, chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 18 verses. And as you can see up there on the screen, you know, I'm asking, do we have wisdom? Got wisdom? And I want to talk about wisdom and what it is, at least from God's perspective, and how we can attain to that use it in our lives in real ways to make our lives better, different than they might have been last year. So let's talk a little bit about it because, you know, we live in a a world that's growing uh, increasingly chaotic. And uh, I get up every morning, you know, one of the first things I do, unfortunately, is I, I read the paper, you know, I have, I get the New York Times and and I know some of you don't think it's a very good paper, but it happens to be the best paper in the world. And, you know, so, um, which may not, may not be saying much. I don't, know. I don't know. But you get up and, of course, every day is more surprising than the day before. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me that I can be amazed even further than I was, you know, the day before. And it's just the way the world's going. What can I tell you? Uh, we live in a kooky place. And it's getting kookier. You know, I don't, sometimes I don't know whether up is up or down is down. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that we can regain our bearings by placing our faith in God and in his principles for life. Now, the book of Proverbs, I know most people don't spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs, unfortunately, but it is a, is a book of practical wisdom. And if you want to know how you want to conduct your life, it's one of the best books that you can read. You, you need to study it, though. You need to think about it. And you need to put it into practice. It's not just enough for these things to be in your head. You have to work them out in your life if you want to see results. It's the only way it can be done. You know, we can have all the faith in the world... But if that faith does not translate into action in our lives, in the way in which we conduct ourselves, it is worthless. I don't care what you believe. I care what you do. 
And that's just, I believe that's what, how God looks at things. He doesn't care what you believe. He cares what you do. So let's begin. I want to take a look at this psalm. If you have a Bible, you can do I'll put a couple of the verses up for us, so that some of the, some of the key verses for us to look at. But it begins by saying, My son, do not forget my teaching, and let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So he's telling us right off, if you listen to what I'm telling you and you do what I say, it will add goodness and length to your life. So how many of you want that? Good times and long life. We all want that, right? Okay, so let's listen. (laughs) Let's listen and do these things. All right. So, Turn on you, Slytherin hound. Okay. (laughs) Okay, remember, everything starts with love. We think about this, sometimes we think about this in very colloquial, very silly, maybe even romantic terms. But love is much more than how we feel. Love is, again, what we're willing to do what we are willing to do for others. The Messiah tells us, he says, listen, the greatest commandment is love. We shall love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, we want to be treated a particular way. We want the respect. We want the consideration, the concern. And we need to translate that into how we feel and act toward others. And all this madness that's going on, that, oh, the, uh, the, this Me Too movement, you know, it's been very distressing to me. Many of you have heard about it. And it all stems from fundamental disrespect for other human beings. That's where it comes from. Not about lust, even. It's about power and about, about abuse. Because we don't know how to look at another human being, no matter what color, what sex, or any other uh, uh, distinction you may say, and see another human being. And that's what we have to do. And when we see that other human being, we want to be treated, we want them to be treated like we want to treat ourselves. You got an elephant and a dog sitting in the rain. They're helping each other. They're not the same. But both of them deserve the love and respect. And you see how the elephant's sacrificing his, you know, he's getting wet and the, you know, the dog's not. Because that's part of love. That's the willingness to sacrifice for another human being, even if it costs me something. See, we're all, everybody, you know, we have boundaries. And those boundaries generally about goodness toward others typically end Precisely at that point where it might actually cost me something. You see? If Messiah Yeshua had acted that way, we'd all be dead already. He, he extended himself beyond his own safety zone. And that's what we need to do. This is a wonderful example of this. I want to share this story with you of sacrifice and what love can mean. If I might. 
boarding the SS Dorchester on a dreary day in 1943, were 903 troops and four chaplains, including Moody alumnus uh, Lieutenant George Fox. World War II was in full swing, and the ships were headed across the, north, the icy North Atlantic, where German U-boats lurked. At 12 in the morning of February 3rd, a German torpedo ripped into the ship. She's going down, the men cried, scrambling for lifeboats. A young GI crept up to one of the chaplains. I've lost my life jacket, he said. Take this, the chaplain said, handing the soldier his jacket. Before the ship sank, each chaplain gave his life jacket to another man. The heroic chaplains then linked arms, lifted their voices in prayer as the Dorchester went down. Lieutenant Fox and his fellow pastors were awarded posthumously the Distinguished Service Cross. Now maybe you'll never be asked to do something like that. But if goodness is going to reign in our world, we have to be willing to go beyond our safety zones in this life. Instead of drawing back behind our protective walls, we need to step out in faith, knowing that God will help us and God will reward us. You see, Mamma Mia, this thing is useless. So you do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and men. You see, if we do these things, God rewards us. We will find favor in his sight and in the sight of other human beings. This is what we all want. This is what we should all have. We need to strive for this, to move, to become better. Better than we think we might even be. But if we don't have that fundamental notion of love in our heart, we cannot do it. So the first step in being a wise person is having that kind of love. Step number one, learn how to love all human beings. You don't have to agree with them. Love them. Our second step, whoops, get that back, is trusting God. Now this seems like, uh, you know, fundamental, right? I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard 10,000 times before. I know that. But let's take a look at what, we, what I'm saying we mean by trust. So it tells us in this portion, beginning in verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's what I wrote up there, right? How come the light keeps turning off? You keep turning off. I'm giving up on this technology, you know. It's going to all be about me. Slithering hound. Trust in the Lord with, with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him 
and he will make your path straight. You know, I can't tell you how many times people have, you know, they come to me and they want to pray uh, about what they're going to do next with their life. You know, uh, where am I going to go? What, what's going to be my job? What, what job am I going to do? What? And my attitude has always been, ever since I came into to ministry, when God opens the door, I walk through it. I don't fuss a whole lot about it. People have, are always fussing. The door is right there in front of them, and they don't... Here's the problem that I believe is fundamental to that. They don't trust God. They, they, they're trying to figure it out to the nth degree. They want to know every detail of what the future holds for them before they're willing to step out. And you know what it does? It causes nothing but hesitation in one's life. That's what happens. Nothing happens. Nothing ever happens. Because there's no way for me to tell you or anybody else what's going to happen the next, next day. Joe, you're going off into a new adventure. We don't know what's going to happen exactly. You know, you make whatever provision you can, and then you trust the Lord, you go ahead, you, pu you push forward, and, and you see what he'll do. That's the way it works. You know? People want to fuss and fudge it over every little detail. I got to make sure, oh, you know, I, you know if, I, if I make this step, will, it, will I have enough money? Will I have enough security? If we cannot trust that the Lord opened the door in order for us to walk through it, then what can we trust him for? Otherwise, you know, what you need to do is go to a financial advisor or, or a job coach or, or a life coach or something and ask them what they would think. No, we trust the Lord. And what do we trust him with? He says, listen, don't rely on your own understanding. Just let me guide you. And I'll make your path straight. I'll get you there. Can we do that? Can we do that? Does it mean that you're not smart? about life. You're not going to do jump off a building. But when God opens a door of opportunity for any work with, with him, do it, just do it. Just do it. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Be generous with God. Listen, I don't preach many sermons on tithing. Uh, mostly because I, it's, a, it's always a personal matter between, you, between one individual and God. But here's an opportunity for me to talk about it just for a moment. If you don't tithe, you are shortchanging yourself in, in your life, in your financial life. You know, Messiah Yeshua says, give, and it will be given to you. You know, pressed down, overflowing. You know, most of us, live, if, we, if we live lives, stingy lives, that's all we will ever have. We will always be that way. We will lose every opportunity for God to provide for us. Listen, it works like this. If you, if you decide that you are self-sufficient, 
then why does God have to help you? He doesn't need, he doesn't need to help you. You're already helping yourself. Go ahead, knock yourself out and I hope you make it. On the other hand, if we choose to rely on God in these things and to give a portion of ourselves back, when we give that portion back, we're saying to the Lord, all of it belongs to you, Lord. But we give you a portion in acknowledgement of the fact that you have provided it all. And then you can live in the fullness of God's blessing and provision. Otherwise, take it all for yourself and I hope you get enough. Some people do and some people don't. As we see in our, in our economy, more and more, it's just a few people at the top who have it and the rest of us have to just make it and get, get by. It's because we don't live in God's economy. So I'm just challenging you. If this is an area that you struggle with, let me, let me put it to you this way. If when I talk about money, about money, that's why I always tell people, if I talk about money uh, in this situation and it makes you uncomfortable, you are the one with the problem, not me. You should be completely comfortable in this conversation. And if you're not, here's what I tell you to do. Write the biggest check you can and give it away. You don't have to give it here. Give it to some cause that you need, that you feel good about. But do something because you are a slave. You need to break that slavery and allow yourself to live in the provision of God. He goes on to tell us to trust in the discipline of God. In verse 11 it says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son whom he delights in. Yeah. How many of us like uh, rebuke? How many of us like being told, you know what, what you did there was wrong. And you need to change that. If we can't accept that, we have a problem. Because we're not being wise. When no one can tell us that we've been, we're wrong, when nobody can tell us, uh, correct us about something so that we can do better, we have fallen off the course of wisdom. I don't want to be too critical of the White House, but that's one of the problems that's going on over there. You have to have counselors, people you can trust. You know, listen, even I, you know, big shot rabbi, but, you know, I have a whole group of people to whom I am accountable. I meet with a rabbi every single Tuesday morning. Why? Because he keeps me in check. Now, hopefully I'm helping him. Every single Tuesday morning, right, Gene? Every Tuesday morning. Because I need people feeding into my life to tell me, Tony, you're out of your mind. What do you think you're doing? I have to be able to hear that from God. And if I can't, that's when you know it's time to get rid of me. And the same thing is true for all of us. We have to be willing to listen brother, sister, you you know, they're going down the wrong road. And I can tell you a thousand stories, but if I do this, you know, violating a confidence, I won't, of people who we have had the opportunity to talk to. Tom knows this because he's done a lot of counseling. You talk to people, you say, brother, sister, not that, not there. Don't go there. They go there, boom. 
the house of cards falls down. Don't let that happen to you. Wisdom is found in the counsel of the wise. So we have to be willing to listen and take the discipline of the Lord if we want to live in peace. Remember those first verses that he told us at the very beginning. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And finally, I'm going to, my last slide up there, seek God's wisdom. Seek it. This, is, this means that you have to go after it. It will not merely come to you. It won't just come to you. You have to go after it. It's like, you know, what does Messiah say? You know, the kingdom of, of heaven is like a pearl of great price. And a man, having found it, sells everything that he has in order to purchase it. We have to do that with wisdom. Sell what we have in order to pursue it. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For a prophet is better than the prophet of silver and our gain better than fine gold. Wisdom is more precious than these things. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire will compare with her. You see, this is the thing. Nothing that you desire in your life is worth what wisdom would be worth in your life. Going after what God calls the truth. And this is what we need to do. I'm going to challenge all of you this year. That this year you have to make the knowledge of God, the word of God, understanding it and applying it in your life. The challenge to, so that you might be better than you are one year from now. This is what we have to do because nothing is more precious than it. You know, we, have the, we, we, we create these goals for ourselves and we wonder why, at the end of it all, nothing ever seems to work. Because we pursue things that are empty. We pursue goals that have no meaning. This year I want us to challenge ourselves with, to be wise so that God can place his knowledge on you. One last word about wisdom. So the word chokmah, the two words for uh, for wisdom in, in Hebrew. Chokmah and seiko. And these are different than da'at. You know what da'at is? Da'at is knowledge. Da'at is worthless without chokmah. You can know every factoid in the whole, in the whole world. And it, will, and it will avail you nothing if you don't know how to do it. You know, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a baseball fan. So I can tell you the things that make a pitcher great. I can tell you. I'm going to tell you right now. It's, you know, listen. It's location, movement, speed. Those are the three elements that you need to be great. If you can locate the ball where you want it, if you can make that ball start in one place and wind up in another, and if you can throw it fast enough, 
you can be a great pitcher. See, I have all the knowledge I need. But I can't do it. <laughs> you kidding me? I probably couldn't throw a rubber ball from here to that thing, that thing anymore. Without the skill in the use of knowledge, you have nothing. Your Wikipedia. That's all. So what we need to do is gain wisdom, skill in the use of that. And God teaches us that through being kind to others, treating others the way we want to be treated, listening to his word and following it day by day by day, even if we don't understand, even if it doesn't seem to make that much sense. Sacrificing beyond our comfort zone giving of ourselves beyond what we think we can so that we can enjoy the provision of God and pursuing wisdom with all of our might. Then we will be wise. Now, I'm going to end with a story. I think I left my book over there. This is a great little book if you ever want to read some interesting stories. It's about... um, Puzzle, they're puzzle stories. Puzzle stories, wisdom tales are from Jewish tradition. So I want to read you one. It's very short. Won't take up any more, much more of your time. The name of this, this tale is called The Grand Inquisitor. Now, everybody, all of you know all about, I hope you do, about the Inquisition in Spain you know, during the 13 and 1400s particularly. Very bad time for the Jewish people, uh, particularly the Jews. The Inquisition was really, form, first and foremost, about Jews who had lapsed from being converted to Christianity and were practicing Judaism. That was its first problem. Anyway, there was a really bad guy, the Inquisitor, and he had a problem because he wanted to get rid of all the Jewish people. He just wanted once and for all. So let me tell you this story. It says, once in the city of Seville, a terrible crime was committed and no one knew who did it. Looking around for someone to blame, the Grand Inquisitor decided that the Jews must be at fault. Of all the Jews in Seville, he decided to go after Rabbi Pincus, the rabbi of the largest congregation in the city. The rabbi was the man the Jews listened to and respected the most. If he was convicted, the Jews would surely suffer. Grand Inquisitor put the rabbi on trial and tried to convince a jury that he was guilty. The jury told him that there was no shred of evidence to support the charge. But there was no stopping the Grand Inquisitor. He came up with a new plan to convict the wise man. I know, we'll put this matter before God, he said. I'll I'll have decided that the fairest way to decide this is to draw lots. I'll place two rolled up pieces of paper in a box. One will say guilty, the other not guilty. If the esteemed rabbi picks the piece that reads guilty... It will be a sign that he and all the Jews are guilty as charged. The rabbi will be executed on the spot. If he draws the piece that says not guilty, we will have to let him go. But the Grand Inquisitor was a wicked man. He wanted to see the rabbi dead and he was not about to let him go. The rabbi knew this, right? He knew this because he was a man of God. And he suspected that the cunning inquisitor would write guilty on both pieces of paper. Grand Inquisitor laughed wickedly and told the rabbi, 
Now pick one. So what would you do? Okay, that's one way. Pick them both. They both say guilty. You're doubly guilty. You're dead! <laughs> no, instead, Rabbi Pincus knew the Grand Inquisitor well. He understood his devious train of thought. He smiled at the gloating judge. How kind of you, he said, to allow me a chance to go free. How fair and just to leave the matter up to God. Then, with a quick motion, he reached his hand in the box, drew a piece of paper. Before anyone could tell what was going on, he swallowed it. So why'd you do that? Said the Inquisitor. Why did he do that? Now we'll never know which piece of paper you drew. This is surely death for you. As inspired by God to swallow the paper, Rabbi said, if you have any doubts, just, just look at, uh, if you have any doubt, any doubt whatsoever, just look at the piece of paper in the box. If it says not guilty, then I swallowed the, the, the one that I swallowed must have said not you should, must have said guilty. Right? But if it says guilty, why that must mean I swallowed the one that said not guilty. So, Grand Inquisitor was freaked out, you might say. Try as he might, he could not find a reason to disagree. <laughs> so, so he reached into the box and read what the piece of paper said, just as the rabbi suspected it said, guilty. You see, said the rabbi, the one I swallowed must have said not guilty. And so the rabbi was set free. <laughs> Wisdom, you see, it's the skillful use of what we know. And that skill comes from a knowledge of the one true God and his ways. <laughs> Maybe we can, like the rabbi, be set free by a knowledge of what God calls wisdom. So let's strive for wisdom in the new year, shall we? Let's do that together. All right. Come with me. Let's, let's apply a little more wisdom by lifting up our voices and praising God.